This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. Hi, I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting Objections, Sales EQ, and Inc. And I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Welcome back to another episode of the Sales Gravy Podcast. This is part two of my interview with the great Mike Weinberg. And on this episode, we're going to be focusing on what it's like to be a brand new sales leader. If you are a new sales leader, you're going to want to pay attention. If you're an individual contributor who wants to be a sales leader, you're going to want to listen carefully. And if you're a veteran sales leader or a business owner or someone who's an executive, this information is going to be crucial for you too, because it might remind you of something that you know how to Mm do, but you're not doing. Before we get started, I want you to go check out SalesGrave University. One thing you can go check out right now is our Sales Leadership Mastermind series. These mastermind groups give you the opportunity to work with other sales leaders from all across industry to solve problems. And if you've never taken a course before, go check out the Sales Leadership courses and use the code free course to get in. So if you've never taken a course before, use free course, pick any course you want. Go to learn.salesgravy.com, learn.salesgravy.com. Mike, Welcome back. Tell us about the brand new book. The first time manager sales. So I remember my very first time that I got a sales leadership job. I was 23 years old and somebody got shot in the field and I got promoted. Okay, That's very young, very very young young to be a manager. Yes, I ended up running seven different profit centers for this organization. So I had these seven different locations. Each of my locations had salespeople. And the thing that I got lucky with is Mary Gardner. So Mary Gardner was the area vice president of this group. I was able to, basically what happened is I sold more than anybody else. And then I talked her into hiring me. She took me under her wing and made, changed my life. Like Mm -hmm. I would never be, I wouldn't be where I am now, but she really focused on coaching. Like her, like everything for me was coaching, 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 coaching. And one of the first things that she taught me as a new leader is to keep your mouth shut and keep your ears open. So she taught me how to patiently like sit and watch, sit and observe. And she said, 80% of what you do is just watching, take notes, look for the opportunities and, and then ask open-ended questions and get people because we've already trained them to be aware that they need to make a change in their behavior. Uh, and she kicked my, I made mistakes. You know, yeah. I did all the things that new sales leaders did, but if I hadn't had her, I probably would have failed. What, what I'm conscious of is that not everybody has a Mary Gardner. So some people need a Mike, a Mike Weinberg. So yeah. may, maybe begin with this, this book itself. Um, I recall you telling me you were never going to write a book again. And then this thing popped up on the radar, which is a little bit like Mike, Mike Weinberg, like I'm not going to write one again, but then you do. But there had to be some trigger out there that you saw with, that's happening for newly hired sales leaders that's bothering you to cause you to, to, 100%. to come out of retirement and write this book. Yeah. I, first of all, it's funny to hear you talk about Mary because I've been in conferences where you used her as an example. So it's funny to actually hear, you know, years later, circle back and bring that, how impression, you know, how important she was to make an impression on you. Um, you know, I wasn't looking to write a book. And, and this book was hard for me to write because of the success of Sales Manager Simplified. And you were so gracious, and I mean this, to write the forward to that book. And you called it, you know, possibly the greatest sales manager book that's ever been written and some other really kind things. It was really hard to write this book. And then when it was done, have to come back and say, I think it's better because it's shorter, it's crisper. I have eight years more experience running around the world doing sales leadership, coaching, consulting, training. So while I wasn't hungry to write a book, the publisher has this incredible book called The First Time Manager. And they came to me and said, we want to do a series around that book. And would you write the one for sales managers? And I thought about it. And, you know, like you, I'm traveling like a madman. I didn't 
somehow you're able to write a book a year and still travel or more than one a year sometimes at your pace. I can't work like that. But when I saw the opportunity and because I'm working with so many sales leaders, when whether they're veterans or they're new and they're struggling and they're overwhelmed and they're, they're on the edge of burnout and they didn't have a Mary, they don't even understand what their high priorities are, what their high payoff activities are. And Lord knows they're working for senior executives who have completely lost sight of what the sales manager is supposed mm -hmm. to do to lead the team and drive revenue. So when, when I put all that together, plus the experience I've had doing all the sales management, consulting and coaching the last eight years, I'm like, I'm going to write this book. So I don't want to, I don't want to repeat sales manager simplified, but it basically came out where it's shorter, it's thinner. It's more targeted for the first time or newer mm -hmm. manager, but I've had so many executives read it and they go buy 200 copies for all their sales managers because it's the fundamentals that people get away from. So that's why I did it. The, I think the other problem is if you think about like businesses like mine, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not a, a huge business, mm -hmm. but I'm, you know, 30 plus people in our company and we don't have a layer even of like director level people mm -hmm. that can then mentor the people that are below them. So if you work for a fast moving company, that's got a, you know, you've got leaders like me at the top of the organization that are trying to, you know, trying to move mm -hmm. to the next level. It's really easy. And I know this is true in my company that we just don't, we don't have people in my company that are bringing along the next, mm -hmm. the next generation of leaders. And I think that's true for a lot of companies that have either gone flat or, they've overwhelmed their director level people, the people that would typically yes. be the yes. mentors of the next group with a whole lot of other stuff, meetings and data and, uh, and extracurricular activities that, that don't allow them to get into the trenches like Mary did with me. Mary would come watch me be a manager and then take me out in the parking lot and kick my rear end and then say, go back into the game and do it again. Jeb, we could spend the whole episode on this one piece because this isn't happening. Managers are buried in crap, processing 250 emails a day, they're on virtual meeting after virtual meeting. They're getting spread, sent spreadsheets from CFOs to do this, do that. They have no time to mentor. You said mentoring like three different times. Mm -hmm. And when you talked about Mary, you said how she taught you how to sit there and observe and coach and give feedback. Though the thing I don't see any sales managers doing today is coaching at that level. Mm -hmm. One, if they go in a sales call, they're taking over, playing the hero, doing the job. They pretend they're modeling for the struggling or the newer rep, but they don't. It's their habit. They're not giving the feedback. They're not pre-call planning. They're not post-call debriefing. They'd, when we were younger, even when I first got in the business 15 years ago, I would occasionally hear sales managers brag about how they turned around an underperformer mm. or they got some young pup yeah. and, and turned him or her into a superstar. Now she's going to club. Do you know how many years it's been since I've heard a frontline sales manager brag to me how they turned around mm. someone or they developed someone? It's not even a source of pride. It's, they, they can't even get to it. Coaching, it's, it's hard to say it this way, but it's become optional. And I'm like, this is the job. You have two, I, I've been saying this more and more lately, and it's chapters three and four in the book. I think our most important job is to make sure our people do their job. You hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. That's one of our big levers. The other big lever we have is we have to coach them to do their job better. And most sales managers are not doing good accountability, and they're not spending anywhere near the time they should be doing what I'll call proactive developmental coaching. Not going out with someone who's struggling or not just jumping in the new guy's car, but like cycling through your people just to get with them, to watch them, to give some feedback, mm -hmm. to challenge them, to pre-call plan, to debrief a strategy on a, some, a deal in the pipeline. I don't see it happening. I see fake accountability. I see emails at two in the morning. I see a lot of data calls, but I don't see like, hey, come along, watch me do this. And then you try the next one. And we'll talk about it. Yeah. Like what? It, it's criminal. Yeah, And there, well, part of the thing is, well, the problem is that they're not spending enough time 
where they should be with their people. That when I was growing up as a sales manager, I remember one of the one of the leaders that had hired me get me in a corner and look at me in the eyeballs and said, "I'm giving you this job. I'm taking a chance on you." Now I, I got the chance to be a, mm-hmm. a, a sales manager in this organization because I was the number one sales rep, mm-hmm. and I did what sometimes number one sales reps did was I held them hostage. I basically said, "You either promote me or I'm leaving." Mm. And I'm when I say number one, like number one by a lot, like a rainmaker number one. Okay. And and fortunately for me, I'd already had Mary Gardner, so I wasn't like a first time. L- leader period i was just a first time sales manager in that role but this wise we'll call him an old man cuz he was like our age at the time but wise we're, we're from, old yeah, yeah we're old and this is i was 26 years old that's when i got my first sales mm-hmm. true sales manager job said if you are not with your people you are unemployed and i looked at him and said what does that mean he goes the only job is with your people the only job is in the car side by side the only job that's it nothing else Everything else, I don't care about. And I listened to that. So I ended up getting, when, when you held the company hostage, they did a, okay, we'll show you. So they gave me the, the worst, worst sales did. team in the company, 52, 52 out of 52. And I, I had only one salesperson left because everybody else had left. And when I got off the airplane to go into my new job, the, the, uh, the regional vice president called me, Clint calls me at, at, in and and says, whatever you do, you, you that guy, David, he's the last one Don't left. Don't lose him. Fire his ass. No, he says, fire his ass. <laughs> well, this dude's picking me up at the airport. So like I get in the car, it's dead man walking, is getting the car with me. And when I got in the car, like he truly said to me, he goes, listen, I've heard your reputation. I've seen what you do. I cannot sell big deals like you do. Teach me. Needless to say, I didn't fire him. Today, he is one what of the most successful story. sales leaders in the entire country for his company. And... But but what did I do? I got in the car with him. I set goals. I we worked on you know on focusing on his activity. We taught him messaging. Taught him how to have sales conversations. I hired a bunch of people, and then I got in their cars with them. I did not play commando. I didn't close deals for them. That was another lesson I'd learned. Don't close deals for your people because all you're going to do is teach them that you'll close deals for them. But we went from last place to first place in nine months. Think about that because you that multiplied was, yourself. This is yeah. but Jeff, this is the thing I don't see. You multiplied yourself into your people. Oh, but I was with them all the time. I literally, I would get up in the morning. They picked me up at the hotel where I, mean, I, would, I had people spread out over 10 states. It, but it worked. Because and, it was pre-CRM. It was pre-email. What year was this? Oh, oh this, is, this is mid-90s. Yeah. Okay, you, you probably barely had a cell phone. If you did, it was in a bag. I had a cell phone. I, tur- I did, but I turned yeah. it off. When I, when I got in the car, I turned it off. I remember I, remember I had a, a leader say, why aren't you answering our calls? And I said, because, because I'm working. I said, because from eight... To five, I'm in a car with a salesperson, and it's rude for me to be on the phone with you when I'm with a salesperson. That's what you pay me to do to get numbers. And the guy goes, yeah. And I said, well, here's the deal. You can call me before eight or call me after five. That's when we can talk. But other than that, I'm in the car with the salespeople. I said, either that or you fire me. But I stood up for myself in that moment nicely. But if you think about it, again, I got advice from a veteran leader who said, your job is to be with your salespeople. Mm -hmm. And when you're with your that was the job. That was the job. The job was go make yep. your people better. Exactly. But when you got in the car with them, what'd you do? You you would like I would I would open my, my laptop because we had a CRM back then. I would my laptop. I would I would look. It was gold mine, um, which is not my favorite CRM in the world, but uh, bane of my existence. But I would open up, look at what they were doing. I would look at their calendar. We're driving down the road. I'm asking them questions before we walk in every call. We do a pre-call routine. 
When we walk out, we do a post-call routine. At the end of the day, Mary Gardner taught me, you only focus on three things, no more than three things. People can't handle that. So at the end of the day, you tell them, all, here's all the things that you did really well. And here are the three things I think we should work on. What do you think? We would agree to that, so collaborate on it. Tell me what you're going to do. I would, after that, send them a trip report and say, here are the three things we agreed that we we're going to work on. The next time I'll be with you is on this date. I would go back. When I got in the car. I would review the three things. I would observe them that day. They would almost always get it right. You praise them. Honest question. Yeah. How much less sales training business would you and I have today if sales managers were doing what you did 20 years ago? A lot less. <laughs> be, be freaking honest. Probably a lot less. A lot yeah. less because that was, that's the job. It is a job. It's, it, but it's sad, right? But let's, let's, go back to, let's go back to a new sales manager. What I want you to do is let's just... Let's talk about the pivot. Let's talk about that pivot because it's a big pivot. It is a pivot. So you go from... And we can... Well, we'll I'll talk a little bit about some of the things that we did when I was a VP okay. of sales to handle this. But when you talk about a new sales manager, as a new sales manager, what I see is the greatest like pitfall is that you blow up the damn sales team because you walk through the door. You're typically, typically ego. It's your ego. You're the best person. You were the best salesperson. You got picked. You walk through the door and I'm not talking about veteran salespeople who take over new teams because that can happen too, but you walk through the door and then you, you, everybody leaves. Like you blow the sales yeah, team up. A, there's a lot of places we could go with that. Let, let's start with this statement. And I think you and I would both agree with this. A pretty healthy, even a somewhat high ego in an individual contributor is actually a pretty good thing. Mm-hmm. That high ego protects them. It gets them through the hard times. I like seeing a pretty high, outspoken, somewhat attention-seeking person in a sales role because I think that works. Mm-hmm. That doesn't play well, real well when you're the team leader. And that pivot from individual contributor star where you are selfish and you went on your own and you own your mm-hmm. calendar, that pivot to then having to be selfless and not went on your own, but went through others is a really big deal. And I've seen both. And I, I was not a great first time sales manager. That was, mm-hmm. it was humorous writing this book because I, I came back and, and was even more transparent about some of those conversations with my dad that I wrote about in sales manager simplified. Like I didn't know what to do. And I try to make everybody sell like me. And I was playing the hero. And I thought, well, I got to turn around. The CEO told me, fix this freaking thing. It's broken. Yep. You know how to sell. Go make them sell. And it's real easy to go too fast and not listen like Mary mm-hmm. taught you. And, and you insert yourself in too many places and try to make them sell like you. And you're not multiplying. You're just doing. And then you're in the hero mode. Yep. And that's a whole other conversation where you, you get burned out because you're doing seven people's jobs instead of coaching, yep. mentoring, holding accountable. So... That, that's kind of the genesis of it, but it's such a big pivot. And I will tell you that the need to A, subdue the ego, and then B, flip from where you have total control of your time to where you need to be open. Mm-hmm. Like when I was a salesperson, I would put on my, on my chair, before I had an office, mm-hmm. I put on my cubicle on the back of the chair, and when I had an office, I put it on the door, mm-hmm. DND on the cell phone, S-E-L-L. Yeah. Don't freaking bother me with an operations right. question. I'm working. That doesn't work as a sales manager. You have to be open for your people. So that's, that is one of the biggest, toughest shifts is the mindset and the calendar. Okay, so you got to put other people before you. You're, you got to manage your calendar. What about, I mean, we think about there's not a layer of people in most companies that mm-hmm. are teaching the next layer of people to be right. good leaders, first-time leaders. They're getting promoted, and I don't think it's because of lack of intention. I just think it's because of the reality of today's business world, and most companies don't really have a good 
leadership training. They have, I'm not saying they don't have leadership training, but they don't really have leadership training that is like real world. Mm-hmm. How do you coach? How do you get into the trenches and get this done? They certainly don't have real world, real, real world training on how to turn something around. But you're a brand new sales leader. Nobody told you what to do. They go, here are the keys, go. The other pitfall I see is that the, the, new, the, first, the first time sales leader has no system. They have no system. No, no system for managing their time, no system for rolling out their plan. Um, they end up doing their people's jobs. The, the thing you didn't say in your, in your list of the challenges of the first-time manager, not only is the leadership development somewhat lacking, it's almost at times the opposite, where the people that have given you the keys to do this job don't really understand how you should be spending your time to actually move the needle, and they keep giving you work to do. They think they're doing you a favor, bringing you in all these meetings, you're in the product planning and quality and executive, and they're asking you for all this information. And before you turn around, you're spending 30, 40 hours a week not doing sales management, not leading, not in a car, not coaching, not pre-call prepping, not doing pipeline reviews, not holding people accountable, not recruiting and interviewing, all the stuff that builds a culture and a team. You're not doing that. You're you're playing someone else's game. And part of the mission I'm on, and part of why I was so explicit in the book is, there is, and I mean this to the new manager, you have to understand that there are people in your company that are above you that may not understand what you need to do to succeed. You better own your priorities, Mm -hmm. the accountability, the coaching, the getting the right people, the keeping your best people. So, well, and and you think about young, young leaders. I I was aware enough of my time through lots of reasons. I go back to Mary. I go to good, good leaders that I had um, Bob Blackwell, but I look at young leaders today, and there's, you know, there's, it's easy to hop on a Teams or hop on a virtual. I mean, at least back then, if there was a meeting, you had to go someplace right. physically to have the meeting. They would have like conference calls from the corporate office, and I'm sitting down with young leaders. And I'm like, look, there's a meeting every day you can go to. You get copied in on them. Why do you show up? And they'll give me all kinds of answers, and and all the answers are basically FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. If I'm not there, then they won't see me. And I'm I'm realistic. I'm like, look, if the if the head of your division is throwing a meeting and your face can be seen, go, go be mm-hmm. seen. You want to get promoted. You've got aspirations. But because marketing's having a powwow where they want to get somebody, you know, want to pick your brain about things, you don't have to show up to that stuff. And the good news is that if you're not there, they probably won't notice. And all of those meetings these days are recorded, so you can listen in your car if you think there's something there that's interesting. But I find that a lot of young leaders don't feel like they have the permission either from themselves or from their leadership to just don't go to meetings. Like I, I, I tell people like, look, I'm telling, especially when I'm in front of groups, like, I'm just going, I came from corporate America. I came from big company. Here's how I operated. I didn't go to conference calls. I just didn't go. And if I really needed to be there, somebody who knew I didn't go to conference calls would whisper in my ear and go, you probably you don't want to miss one. one. That's right. Which we find. And if there was an all hands on deck and we all have to be there and someone's taking names, I said, if they're ever taking names, I'm going to be there. But other than that, I just didn't go. You know what happened? People quit inviting me, which was fun. It's perfect. I I become friendly with a guy named Drew Ellis at SAP, recently promoted sales leader. And I ended up featuring him. I had him on the show, and then I featured him in in the new book. And he's at SAP at a really high-pressure environment. And he made the case when I interviewed him for the book. He said, you people need to all hear this. If you can check all the boxes that you were compliant and you did all these appropriate trainings and you attended all these meetings, but you miss your sales number, no one is going to come back to you at the end of the year and go, you know, it's okay that your team crapped the bed and you totally missed your team's number because you were really good at going to all those Zoom meetings. Yeah. Like there's no, you don't get any extra credit at the end of the year. He's like, you got to hit your number. And if that means saying no to some of those meetings, and I, I just left a workshop, I mean, truly a couple hours ago. And, and a, in a private conversation I had with the sales managers after doing the sales training, 
they were asking me questions about how to push back on their bosses because all these things I'm articulating as sales manager priorities, they're like, we can't get to those. And that's I'm like, you have to have a sit down with your direct leader and in writing, show him and get or her and get some agreement on these are your three or four priorities. These are the objectives you're being held accountable for and get them to buy into that. So when they start overloading you or other people in the company are asking you to go to this meeting and do that, you got to go back to your boss and go, time out. I just was assigned 37 hours of work this week by other people mm-hmm. in the company, and none of it aligns with these four priorities yeah. that you told me I need to focus on. So yeah. which would you like me to do, boss? Because I can't win. So I, I love that you said that, because this is, by the way, something that I have to teach people in my company, especially young people, is that I don't know your priorities. I know my priorities. Mm. And I'm walking through the door going, I want that. And that doesn't mean that that needs to become your priority. I'm just telling you what's on top of my head. And leaders do this all day long. Your leader's going to walk in. Your leader doesn't, I mean, your leader's not intentionally trying to sink you. Your leader wants you to succeed, but they don't know what your priorities are. If you don't stand up for yourself and say, and you can do this respectfully, you can say, hey, boss, here's all the things that I'm doing right now. You've added this to the plate. Which one of these do you want me to focus on first? You can do it very nicely. Let the and I'd say that you just tell ask me. I'm tell happy me. You to direct go. Me, boss. You tell I me. can go. Don't worry about that. You do this. Mm-hmm. Easy. But if you don't say that, like if you just take it, you're just going to get more dumped because on you. More sales, dumped on because you. it's the same message for sales managers. We preach to salespeople. You don't get paid to do work. You get paid on results. You got to move right. the needle. We don't get paid to do proposals. We get we get paid to close deals. So don't come back to me and tell me I had all this work to do. Like, we don't pay you for work. Right. There's a, there's a reason why in the history of saying, if it's not in the CRM, it didn't happen. And all of the threats about how we're going to let salespeople go if they don't put in the CRM and the history of business, nobody fired the top salesperson because they sucked at the CRM. Nobody. Correct. Nobody fired the top sales manager because they sucked at going to meetings. Mm-hmm. They didn't do that. If you're, if you're putting the numbers up, you're winning. If you're the, you know, if you're the, uh, the, the, uh, an NFL team, for example, or a baseball team and you're winning, the general manager is not walking down there and micromanaging the way that you manage your field. They are out of your damn way. So, but that's hard when you're a new salesperson because, or excuse me, a new sales leader, a new sales manager, because you don't always know how to do those things. And nobody maybe even taught you to stand up for yourself. And, and it may be that there are some people like, like Drew Ellis, and maybe I put myself in that basket, that I, I, maybe there's just this thing where I'm, I just was laser focused on, these are the things that drive mm-hmm. the number, mm-hmm. and everything outside of that I'm not going to do. But right. I go back to Mary Gardner, because I can tell you, this is what Mary Gardner taught me. She said this. She said, your job is to train, observe, coach, and give feedback. And that's it. And anything outside of training, observing, coaching, and giving feedback, including follow-up, mm-hmm. anything outside of that's academic. Mm, that's really good. So focus on those things. I think the thing you and I would add to her list today is, on the other hand, the accountability piece, right? Where we, well, that was the follow-up, that, right? That's the follow-up, yeah. Yep. To make sure they're actually doing the job. Because yep. what I'm amazed at, I go into companies. In some companies, the punishment for not doing call reports or updating the CRM is greater than missing your quota by 25%. Yep. Because th- so they're focused on activity or checking boxes. They're not focused on pipeline, opportunity right. creation, and deals closing. Well, that's that's a sin. That's just like the like inside sales scenes where they've got these uh, bots now that are doing quality control rating. So they're not selling anything, but they're hitting all the boxes. I had, I had I said this yesterday. I was coaching a, um, a, a training a, a group of uh, inside salespeople, and one of them said, "But Jeb, you don't understand the quality control thing." And it just it just 
snuck out of my, I didn't mean to say it this way. I said, I don't give a crap about your quality control thing. We're here to sell stuff. That's what our job is. Mm -hmm. So I don't care what box you you checked, and I don't think the boss cares. And the boss was there and said, do you care if we check this box, but that doesn't get, get us closer to the sale? Because we were talking about you responding to the person that was calling in. The same thing with a sales leader. If you're, you know, if you, if you don't have an accountability structure that is focused on the right things, I mean, you're going to get the behavior that you, yeah. that you follow up on. But Mary, like to her, this is what she always said. She said, in God, we trust everybody else we follow up on. So good. So, so that was another thing that she gave me as a new sales leader was you need to have a system for follow-up. And when I look back on all of the great leaders I work for, and Mike, I'm maybe the luckiest human being mm -hmm. in the world because I, I, I had one or two crappy leaders and when they were, the reason they were crappy is that they were just all about their next rung mm -hmm. up and they didn't really care about anybody around them. I had one or two, but I had great leaders. And if you look back on those leaders, the one thing that they did is that when they were coaching you and you told them you're going to do something, they, checked they always checked. Like they would always come back around. And then you only had to do that a couple of times and get caught. And then you were like, okay, well, that's not going to happen again. Because they wanted to see you win. All right. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. I, I want to bounce something off of you. I have been really pushing on sales managers that they need to discriminate on, for the right reason, based on performance, not race, gender, yeah. religion, et cetera. I don't see sales managers giving enough leeway and help and support to their best people. And one of mm -hmm. my, one of the things that I'm seeing in a lot of places, attrition of, of a, a player talent, because you yeah. can't replace an A player. Like there, yeah. there's no unemployed A player in salespeople. There never are. And now it's probably mm -hmm. worse than ever. What's your take on how far a sales manager can go to play favorites, give better opportunities, uh, more coaching, let people bend the rules when they're really producing, not someone who's violating the culture. Like I know that's, yeah. they're not poisonous, but my dad told me this. And then I've seen some other data from a, a tech company I work with where the highest performing sales managers, like the managers leading mm -hmm. the highest performing teams, they spent more than twice the time with their best people than managers of underperforming mm -hmm. teams spent with their best people. Like the data saying to me, you need to discriminate. You got to overserve your better people because they know where to get the business. Mm -hmm. Like, where do you draw the line there? Is that okay? Like, because I'm trying to tell people you need to discriminate because you got to drive results. Yeah, the, it's, it's leading a sales team is not leading a democracy. So everybody doesn't get treated the same. Huh. This is not this is not um, socialism, right? This is this is the survival of the fittest. This is the you produce, you win. It's just that. So. Um, so the, when, when we think about like leading a sales team, I look at a sales team on a bell curve, you've got your ultra performers, mm -hmm. top people, you've got some average performers who fit on bo both mm -hmm. sides. And then you've got, you know, people, dogs, you can't coach out of a kennel. Right. And, and for my entire life, like I have never, not once turned a turkey into an eagle. So I don't spend time with turkeys. Mm. I only spend time with people who deserve my time. Now, when I think about top performers, as long as it's moral and ethical and it has integrity, then sell how you want to, do what you want to, be who you want to. It is not my job to turn you into me. Mm. It is my job with, a, with a, a, uh, an ultra performer to get stuff out of the way so they can be, go be the best version of them. Most young people, they don't understand this, this analogy. Right. But what I say to my top performers this is the bat phone. I hold my phone up. This is the bat phone. If there is something in the way of you getting a deal closed, you call me, I will move it because you deserve that. Like you mm -hmm. earned that. And I'll have people complain and, oh, well, you're giving this person more. Right. You're doing this. Like even on my own team, people complain because, you know, I'll give one person a lead. 
I'm like, the leads belong to me, not to you. This is not a democracy. This isn't a, you know, you get this lead, then now you get this lead. It's not somebody's turn. You've got a hot hand. You're closing business. I'm throwing all the leads to you, right? Same thing with my top performers. I'm not giving an inbound lead to a low performer so I can watch them fail on it. That is not what the job is. Now, when I look at the oh, middle part, right, my, the middle part is, are you coachable? So the middle part's typically hungry, right? They're, they're starving right. and they need help. Some of those people, by the way, are going to be your consistent. They're going to be the, your, your, your players that show up every day, they hit their number. And one of my warnings to, to leaders is when you've got people who are consistently hitting their numbers, but they're not, they're not performing at the level that you believe that they can perform at, you need to go check your, yourself at the door because if I got someone who hits their number every single month, month in, month out, but they're not you know, the top of the list, mm-hmm. but I think they can be, that's me like putting my hopes and dreams into yeah, them. They might be happy with where they are. If they say, boss, like, like David said to me in the car, I want to be better, then they're saying they're enrolling themselves in to make me better. But when it comes to top performers, as long as you're not doing bad things inside my team, like, right. like if, you're, if you're toxic, I don't give a that's crap. You're, you're out. That's a different conversation. Yeah. But you say, I'm coming in at 10, and I'm telling everybody else I got to come in at 8, and your pipe is full, and I can see the evidence that's going to stay full because I, I'm looking ahead of the curve. Like, I'm not looking at now. I'm looking tomorrow. If you say I'm selling standing on my head, I'm doing it this way, I don't care. If, if, you're, like, if you're selling $2 million a year and the, and the nut's $500,000, I'll hire a daggum, you know, a secretary to fill 100%. in the CRM for you. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you're successful. What I'm not going to do is go spend my time with low performers. What I'm going to do is try to move the performance of my entire team mm-hmm. and shift that curve so that the low performers are so exposed mm-hmm. that they have to go someplace else. Now, let me, let me back this up with, with one thing that, that I believe in, okay? And, and, and let me explain this. So there was a point in my life where I took over a sales team in, in a division of our company. We had 180 salespeople, and it was failing. When I say failing, I mean failing mm-hmm. at a scale that was untenable for the organization. We were, we were going to put ourselves into a place where there was no possibility of, of coming okay. back. They, they were going to have to close the thing down. When, when I got my leaders together, all my sales leaders and my directors, two directors, and I had sales leaders in all the markets, uh, with the, the salespeople promote, you know, got, you know, got uh, reported to, I was very clear. Like, here's what we're going to do. Here's the metric. Here's the accountability. And then I looked at him and said, here's what we're going to do. We are not going to let people fail. Now, some of them heard, we're going to coddle people. We're going to hold them, hold their hands. We're going to give them stuff. And they pushed back. And I said, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is we're going to have to turn this thing around by bringing new people in. Mm -hmm. We can't do this with the people that we have. So as we do that, your job is to make sure that they're successful coming out of the the gates. We are going to, if we fire someone, collectively go look in the mirror. And we are with integrity. We are with the truth. Going to look in the mirror and say, we did everything we possibly could <coughs> to help this person succeed, and then we're going to shoot them. But we're not going to do that. That's right. We're not going to let them fail. And that worked. Like So now i got my people looking at good people who need help. We get our arms around them. We get them going. We move them forward. So... Guys, it was a long answer to a question. Totally I, know, I, I, I triggered you, but it, yep. it, 
it's managing different <laughs> managing yeah. different people differently. Yeah, people. It's absolutely critical. There's data that says people don't care if you're fair to everybody; they only care if you're fair to them. That's really and good. that's why top performers leave. Good. Yeah. No, I'd add on the underperformer side. I don't want to ignore them. I want to confront the underperformance. I've seen some success where we do a legitimate coach up or coach out. Not a legal pip thing, yeah. but I call it informal remediation yeah. where you sit down with someone who's struggling because you're doing regular accountability and it's not working. And you go, you know what? We got to change this trajectory. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to double up my coaching. I'm going to double up the accountability, but we need to get this moving. Yeah. And I think in that case, it's almost like you're throwing that person a life preserver. Yeah. Take if, advantage of my coaching. And if they make progress, even if it's not all the way there, I'm good with that. Totally good. If they make, but if but if you say to them at the beginning of the week, here's what we're going to do at the end of the week. Do you agree with this? And they agree with it. And in the week comes along, and they don't show up to your meeting, and they didn't hit the number. They're telling you to kick them out. Yeah, exactly. That they've already quit. But Th- then that's but a, a lot of times story, they right. will quit. They'll go. I just I'm just not willing to sign up for and this. And that's what good sales management does. It flushes out people that mm-hmm. don't want to do the job yeah. or don't want to be held accountable. Here's the message mm-hmm. that I think is amazing that most sales leaders are surprised to hear me say. Salespeople, good salespeople, want to be held accountable yes. and they want to be coached and they want to win. What's yes. the trait? Number one trait? Competitive. Yes. If they're not comfortable being held accountable or having that hard conversation, they how can you count on them to deliver yeah. results? Salespeople won't. They'll push back, push back, push back, but they but they love structure. They love accountability. They love you being there. It's just that the accountability for a new rep versus accountability for a consistent rep mm-hmm. versus accountability for a high-performing rep is going to be a little bit differently or different. The way I do it with a team is I have a, a four-square quadrant. So on the far left-hand corner is, um, is a chronic underperformer, okay. CUP. Then you have an inconsistent performer mm-hmm. up above that. Then over on the right top-hand corner, consistent performer, lower one is an ultra-high performer. So when I look at sales leaders and say, okay, how are you going to, to spend your time? The time I'm going to spend with my ultra performers is giving them love. It is, it is removing roadblocks. It is when they're irritated, there's somebody, you know, some, so no, the non-sales department's in the way. I'm going to go over there. The way I explain it to sales leaders, your job is to be an umbrella. I'm, I'm an umbrella really over those folks, right? The consistent performers, I just want to keep them consistent. Like, I don't want them to go backwards. So I'm, all I'm doing with them is looking to see, do they want to move up? And if they do, I'm going to oh. give them everything I got. But more than anything, I'm just I'm trying to get ahead of the curve to see is there anything that's going to change this? The chronic underperformers you just have to get rid of, and they're the ones where you gave them a chance, you've worked with them, you can go look in the mirror and say I've done everything I can, right. but they they don't want to do it. And if you want to if you want it more than they want it, not going to work. But the inconsistent performers, these are people that we know can do it, like they did it once. And some of those people are going to move from inconsistent into ultra performers. Yeah. Some of them are going to move into consistent performers. But those are the ones as a sales leader that you can help. And they and they they truly want your help. There's something not working. And a lot of times it's just because they don't understand a skill or they're they're missing a clue. They didn't see yeah. the nuance. Or you know, they they need you to be the I, I mean, I just love, you know, grouchy old sales managers that walk in and, you know, just sort of get their arms around you and kick your butt a little bit. But they, they need that attention. They're the ones that when you're in the car with them and you do the post-call, pre-call, post-call, they walk away. The next call, they're better. Totally. So, yeah, the word that comes to mind is you want, I love that grid you just mm-hmm. talked about. It's intentionality. Yeah. What you're preaching is that we have to own our time and proactively develop our people. Yep. And that means you have to get out of some other stuff because there's nothing you can do. Aside from all the people accountable, that type mm-hmm. of coaching and involvement with your people and intentionally deciding who gets your attention, no, nothing's going to move the needle like that. No amount of sitting in a Zoom meeting with some other corporate thing or CRM compliance is going to make that type of difference. 
All right, I'm going to give you something. This is this is like free advertising. Okay. Okay. So give us the like the elevator speech. Go try that again. Give us the elevator speech. I lost the ability to speak at the moment. The elevator speech. So about the new book, why they should buy it, why you want it, and uh, and let's see if we can sell some books. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate the opportunity. This is such a fun conversation. You want it because the sales manager is the single most important job in the organization. It's also the hardest job, right? You're, you are in the center of everybody's bullseye and everybody's pulling on you and has an opinion about how you should do your job. And you have to master the fundamentals and doing accountability well and coaching well, uh, getting the right people on your team, keeping and maximizing the performance of your A players, addressing underperformance and not playing team hero where you're going to burn out because you're doing everybody's mm-hmm. job. If you can master those few things, you will win so big and you will not only have more fun and drive more results, you'll actually get your life back as a sales manager. So many sales managers are working 60, 70 hours a week. They're carrying more burden than their salespeople. They're working harder. They're processing 200 emails and they're not having any fun and they're not moving the needle on results. Mm. If you get the right people and you coach and you hold them accountable and you address underperformance, everything changes as a sales leader. And that's why it's my shortest book because I took out all the fluff after all this experience. Like I know if the sales leaders would just do the few things I'm prescribing here, I guarantee them they're going to have more fun. They're going to get their life back and they're going to move the needle on results. That's the best way I could sum it up. Perfect. First time leader sales. The first time manager sales. First time manager sales. First, I, wanna, I didn't title the book. I think it's a goofy, <laughs> but they were playing off the first time manager. Book. First time manager sales. Go get the book. Go get the book. First time manager sales is fantastic. And if you've ever learned anything from Mike, uh, you'll trust me, it'll, it'll be something that will, will change you. And I, I'm going to tell one more Mike Weinberg story before uh, we go. Uh-oh. It was the first time I ever heard your voice. Okay. We were talking about Brad Adams in the in the uh, the last uh, the last. The first. I remember our first phone call. Uh, go, go ahead. Let's yeah, this is going. it. Okay. So we're we're he and I are driving to go to a sales call. We're meeting a CEO of a telecom company, and we're playing a podcast that you're on. And somebody's interviewing. It may have been in Reno, and you're talking. And Brad, in the middle of this, I'm driving the car, and he's sitting next to me. He goes, "Oh my God! Like this guy, like everything he's saying is true." This is amazing. Like, that's exactly what we should be doing. And I'm sitting next to him going, what the hell are you talking about? What have I been saying to you for five years? So... That was the first time I ever heard your voice, but I knew that you were you were a genius, and uh, and I follow you in a lot of places, and and we have a very complimentary style. So well, you've been very good to me. Even the fact that you asked me to write the forward to your Harry Potter, I mean, fanatical prospecting book, you know, that, that's really been helpful for me. And it's so much fun when people go, "Oh, New Sales Simplified." I'm like, "Yeah, I got one chapter on prospecting. Jeb has the best book ever written on it." So it's fun to <coughs> go back and forth, and then I'm just thankful for the support and the friendship, and I love what you're doing and the dent you're making in the sales community. So. Thanks, Thank for, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it yeah. very much. Thank you. And if you want to learn how to, uh, to be a leader from some of the experts, and uh, including Mike, uh, go, go to SalesGravy University. That's learn.salesgravy.com. Learn.salesgravy.com. Take your very first course with the code FREECOURSE. course.